is Frances Harry, and today we are discussing the first two chapters of the fifth dwelling place or mansion of the interior castle by St. Teresa of Avila. We're using the second edition of the interior castle study guide that's available at icspublications.org. Now, this is a part of an ongoing monthly series. Well, we'll be doing this all through 2023. I think we're on recording number seven, maybe. But anyway, we will be talking about the, the fifth dwelling place. The further the soul advances in union God, of course, the more mystical the journey becomes. And I want you to know that uh, my guest and I are going to do our very best to convey these teachings in a true manner. And in case we have misstated something, we want you to know that in all of our Carmelite conversations that we joyfully submit to the official teaching of Holy Mother Church. So with that um, at hand, I'd like to now welcome back Teresa Rittenhouse. Hello, Teresa. Thank you for coming back with me. Good morning, Francis. <laughs> We have a big conversation today um, on St. Teresa of Avila's fifth mansion and this prayer of union, which is so important. And I'm so glad you're here to discuss it with me. <laughs> well, we're growing in prayer, so yes. we all need each other's encouragement. Right. And so we're uh, thankful that our listeners are tuning in and we're hoping that this will be helpful to them. Um, and as usual, we want to start with a prayer. And this opening prayer is based on St. Teresa of Avila's words in the fifth dwelling place, uh, chapter one, paragraph one and two. First, it's a prayer for her to be enlightened. And so also us, right? And then secondly, a prayer begging grace for all of us. So all, all of us that are listening and we are partake, partaking in this conversation. So, um, Teresa, would you mind leading us in this prayer, please? Yes, ma'am. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Send light from heaven, Lord, that I might be able to enlighten these, your servants, for you have been pleased that some of them ordinarily enjoy these delights, so that they may not be deceived by the devil transforming himself into an angel of light. For all their desires are directed toward pleasing you. Oh, Lord, we beg you to give us your grace in such a way that nothing will be lacking through our own fault. Please show us the way and strengthen our souls that we may dig until we find this hidden treasure. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, this hidden treasure, of course, is the pearl of great price. It's Union with God through contemplation, which is his gift to the soul. Now, let's just review um, our previous dwelling places or mansions um, just to get a sense of this journey that we've been on. So, Teresa, would you mind? Um, let's go back and forth. You do okay. the first mansion and I'll do the second, vice versa. In the first dwelling place, that's our awakening to God. Remember, the soul is absorbed in worldly affairs, honors, and ambitions. Um, they're attached to their possessions, but they have entered into the interior castle through prayer and reflection. Although they only pray a few times 
sometimes just a couple times a month, and usually vocal prayer. And in the second dwelling place, we call this Onward Christian Soldier. This mansion is a battleground that is waged between the world and the divine call of God. It's a real tug of war between two loves, between the world and the Lord. Worldly affairs are partially renounced, but these souls now pray more regularly and are more receptive to hearing God's call, especially through books, sermons, good friendships, and even trials. They practice vocal and discursive prayer and simple recollection. In the third dwelling place, um, that's pioneers or settlers. Souls here are good Christians and work hard not to offend God, even trying to avoid the venial sins. They use their time well. They practice charity toward their neighbor and are careful in their speech and dress. They practice vocal and discursive prayer, acquired recollection and effective prayer, and the simple gaze of prayer. Much courage, self-knowledge, and humility are needed to risk going forward in this stage. And we hope everyone listening will be a pioneer going forward. (laughs) Courageous. (laughs) All right. And in the fourth dwelling place, we call this bridging over or a place of quiet because this is where the prayer of quiet is experienced. This stage marks the beginning of the passive or the contemplative life in which God begins to take over and the soul becomes less active. This is where the mystical supernatural prayer begins um, with infused recollection, infused recollection rather than active. So coming from God and also the gift of contemplation, um, which Teresa calls the prayer of quiet. And that's where the will, which is a faculty of the soul, is captivated by God. And um, that is the degree of prayer that may may be experienced here. And then in this dwelling place, St. Teresa of Avila compares natural consolations to spiritual delights. And in the fifth dwelling place, that's our topic for today, um, which is also the beginning of the fourth water that St. Teresa talks about. We're using as a supplemental reference the booklet entitled A Guide to the Stages of Prayer According to St. Teresa of Jesus and St. John of the Cross by a discalced Carmelite nun from the Carmel of Our Lady of Divine Providence. I have to say that this little book is really precious. Um, and goes into some great details. So if you're wanting to learn more uh, and at a deeper level by a, a discalced Carmelite nun who practices this prayer, um, <laughs> there's a lot of information in this little book, and, and we're using it as one of our go-to references. So you mentioned the four waters, that this fifth dwelling place is where the fourth water begins. So let's Let's review St. Teresa's four waters. The first water is where the beginners are, the purgative way, where they draw water with buckets from a well, and that's comparable to vocal and mental prayer, meditation, and acquired recollection. And Teresa, if you would do the second water for us. The second water is the proficient or illuminative way, and water comes to us from the pulley or water wheel 
um, prayer of infused recollection and the prayer of quiet. All right. And then we go into the third water. And this is the proficient or the lumative way. Also, a water comes from a river or spring through irrigation. And this is the sleep of the powers or the prayer of inebriation. And granted, St. Teresa of Avila didn't go on an extensive uh, description of this. She mentions it very briefly. So um, this booklet that we're using goes into it into detail if people want to more know, know more now, knowledge. So that leads us to the, the fourth water, Teresa. And that's the perfect or unitive water. It's water that comes from a heavy rain, prayer of simple union. And that's um, the courtship, um, the ecstatic union, where that's the betrothal and the transforming union. And that is spiritual marriage. Right. So all these mystical unions that are really deep, this simple union, a static union and transforming union are all in the fourth water. And that's why we followed this discast Carmelite nuns teaching to put um, this fifth dwelling place in the fourth waters. Now, some people place it with the third water. Okay. So there is some difference of opinion or interpretation here. And of course, that applies to most of the charts that you will see that people make of the interior castle. So um, you're going to see some variation. Um, the mystical nature role may be why we find some of these variations. In our series, we are grouping the first three mansions together as the emphasis is on the ascetical. Um, that the what the soul can do that is their means their main means of growth and then in the fourth mansion uh, or dwelling place this is the transition from active to passive prayer where the prayer of quiet begins and then the final three so we got a group of three then one transition and then a group of three the final three mansions or dwelling places are all centered around degrees of mystical union Simple union, the static union, transforming union. Okay, so it just kind of helps to review some of these things to, to help us keep everything um, in right order or at least uh, help us understand it better. And as always, I like for us to talk about some <laughs> subtitles, what we would call this fifth dwelling place. So, Teresa, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us some of these titles that that kind of summarize the dwelling places nicely. The prayer of union, fragments of heaven. I love that. Uh, riches, treasures, and delights. The spiritual courtship and uh, inner transformation from silkworm to butterfly. I love when she um, describes our prayer life uh, with the natural things around us. And thy will be done. And this is all that we want, our new life in Christ. Absolutely. And each one of those accents something special in this fifth dwelling place. So uh, it's nice to get those. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, we also have been relating the mansions to the Our Father prayer. So in the Our Father prayer, the petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is the one associated with the fifth dwelling place. And why? Because there's an urgent need to practice resignation to God's will in this new union with God. 
And having come closer to God in prayer, being brought into the wine cellar, as in the Song of Songs, the soul longs to know God more intimately. Thus, doing his will becomes more important than ever before. Of course, when you begin to love someone more deeply and they are showing their love for you, um, you want to uh, go the same way. You know, the way, the truth, and the life. And once you discover the way, the truth, and the life, you you, you don't want to go any other way. <laughs> All right. So now if you could just give us a brief description uh, in a nutshell of what this fifth dwelling place is. And then we're going to start getting into the details. Well, this is so loving how she describes this. The fifth dwelling place is the joining of hands in spiritual courtship with our divine spouse. Can't you just see that? Us walking hand in hand, who wants us to know him better and is in anticipation of a deeper union to come. The soul is ardent in desiring God's will to be done, which is love. Love of God, love of neighbor. The soul is dying to self so as to live in Christ. And St. Teresa gives us the analogy of the life cycle of the silkworm to help us understand this interior transformation of the souls. And that's what's happening in this fifth dwelling place. All right. So now let's, let's begin the details. St. Teresa addressed her nuns with many insights, saying, Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I'm reading a quote from her. Many are called, but few are chosen. So I say now that all of us who wear this holy habit of Carmel are called to prayer and contemplation. This call explains our origin. We are the descendants of men who felt this call of those holy fathers on Mount Carmel, who in such great solitude and contempt for the world sought this treasure, this precious pearl of contemplation that we are speaking about. Now, contemplation, uh, briefly defined, would be like an inflow of divine knowledge and love. Okay. I think John the Cross is a divine inflow of God into the soul, which, if not hampered, uh, fires the soul in love, something like that. Okay. And this contemplation brings the gifts of resignation, peace, and harmony within. And the soul learns more and more about how to surrender to God and letting letting him take over so that we are not our own gods, but we are submitting to the God, <laughs> the great God. Now, St. Teresa told us that only a few nuns failed to enter this fifth dwelling place, um, but only a few would experience some of the things she's describing. So, so she's saying her nuns, most of them will come to the doorway and maybe enter the doorway of the fifth mansion, but not all of them would experience the things she's going to be describing. And now let us recall that she's speaking to the nuns who live a life of prayer, right? And so we shouldn't think that as, as seculars that, um, okay, you know, we, we can do this. She's talking to all of us that few of us um, that, excuse me, that few fail to enter this. So um, if you're living a life of prayer, uh, like the nuns, um, a life of prayer, um, mortification, uh, love, 
gratitude, all of those things, um, then, okay, this may apply to you. But um, I just wanted to be sure everybody understood that she's talking to the nuns. And so not to just <laughs> automatically assume that we're in with that bunch. <laughs> but I hope we are, you know, I hope we're living a life of prayer and mortification and uh, th- as we can uh, as a secular. So um, that leads us to the question, even of the nuns here, why, where are you chosen? And St. Teresa tells us why. So I'm going to let you uh, list those reasons for us. Well, you know, they are in a convent. They are closed from the world. Um, but, you know, she's, she's, as a mother, keeping them mindful, you know, re, re, you know, teaching them and reminding them, you of us dispose ourselves that the Lord may communicate it to us. So additionally, she's telling them in the practice of virtues, they are necessary for arriving at this point. We need very, very much and cannot be careless in either small things or great things. Um, She's advising them, be brave in begging the Lord to give us his grace in such a way that nothing will be lacking through our own fault. That he show us the way and strengthen the soul that it may dig until it finds those hidden treasures. The truth is that the treasure lies within our own very selves. God doesn't want you to hold on to anything so that you will be able to enjoy the favors we are speaking of. We must be detached from everything. And, you know, as nuns, they were in a convent. They were detached. But apparently, you know, you can still hold on to little things. So she's reminding them, be careful. Be careful of those things. In conformity with what you know you have given, you will receive greater or lesser favors. So when we give ourselves to God, we want to give all. Don't be stingy. (laughs) Right. It's a big surrender, but it's very profitable. So to dispose ourselves, then Teresa's telling us, practice the virtues. Don't be careless in anything. Beg the Lord for the grace and be detached. And then as much as we give, the Lord is is uh, more generous than we are. So if we give a little, you know, he's he's going to recognize that and help <laughs> us to want more, more of him. And and we got to remember, we're not seeking the graces. We're seeking him to do his exactly. will. That is the important thing. So. um for those souls who are intent on developing a deep and intimate relationship with our Lord, we must dispose ourselves for this gift of prayer of union. Now, that's a degree of prayer, prayer of union by the practice of virtues, not being careless. OK, and I'm, I mentioned all those. So, uh, you know, these are important points that someone can take to their self-examination each evening to discern you know, how fertile is the soil of your soul? So, again, practice of the virtues. Don't be careless in anything. Begging God for grace. Be detached. Okay? <clears throat> now, um, before we continue, I want us to take a moment. 
to review the regions and faculties of the soul, which are the sensory region, the spiritual region, and the substance of the soul. I once received a diagram from Father Chowning, who is a Discalced Carmelite friar, and um, it, it was a nice chart. So I'm taking this information from his chart, so right from him, right? So on the sensory region of the soul, the sensory, or you might call it the exterior faculties of the soul, those are the five senses, just sight, hearing, tasting, touching, and smelling. These sensory internal senses are common sense, imagination, estimative power, and sense memory. Don't ask me to tell you what all those are about. I have to look those all up myself. Um, the next part of the soul is the spiritual or the superior internal region of the soul. So we were doing the external. Now we're doing internal or superior or spiritual region of the soul. Now, the interior faculties of the soul are, and I think a lot of people will be very familiar with this, memory, intellect, and will. Now, the memory is associated with hope, the intellect with faith, and the will is with love because we choose to love. Now, the center of the soul, this is where St. John the Cross tells us about this deep place within us. It is the dwelling place of God. And in this degree of union, of prayer of union, um, this is where the soul is coming into the center, brought to the center of the soul by God to meet with him, right? So why is this important to review? Well, as we discuss the fifth, sixth, and seventh dwelling places from here on through the rest of the year, we're going to be talking about certain aspects of the interior superior faculties of the soul that are suspended or captivated by God. And in the fourth dwelling place, we talked about the will being captivated by God in the prayer of quiet. So as we continue these discussions, I, I want you to be at least familiar with this, this how we are talking about the soul so that when we're saying the, the will was captivated and the memory was captivated, you, you have a sense of what we're talking about. All right. Now, we're going to go to a description of this degree of prayer called the prayer of union. So in the fifth dwelling place, the degree of prayer emphasized in the first two chapters, because there's four chapters, but the first two chapters is talking about this degree of prayer called prayer of union. Now we want to know what is this prayer of union like? How is it described? And I'm going to let Teresa take over from here and tell us about the characteristics of the prayer of union. Well, it seems like the soul is asleep, yet the soul doesn't think it's asleep, nor does it feel that it's awake. All the faculties are asleep. They're either suspended and captivated to the things of the world and to ourselves in this state. So no human effort is used to suspend the faculties of the soul. God does this to the soul. Right there, it was important to understand faculties of the soul and being suspended or captivated, meaning we can't use them. Um, God has taken over and, and he's uh, silencing them so that he can get through to us. Okay, go on. 
he has our total attention, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Uh, the soul has no power to think, even if it wants to. During this time of union, the soul neither sees nor hears, no, uh, nor it doesn't understand. Um, that's where the mystical part comes in. It doesn't understand how or what it is that it loves or what it would want. The soul is like one who is in every respect has died to the world so as to live more completely in God. I want to comment on that. St. Teresa of Avila goes on to call that a delightful death. So you're thinking about, well, it's, the experience of this prayer of union is like leaving the mortal body behind so that God is drawing the spirit of the soul into his spirit and, and to share into his life, to, to abide in him. So I read one person saying that this was a good preparation for a real death. So I thought, well, that, that's interesting. So to, to think of this, degree of prayer as a delightful death, an experience of the delightful death. I thought that was interesting. And okay. that's, that's the the riches and the delights of heaven, the little touches of heaven here on earth. Fragments of heaven. There it is. <laughs> exactly. The soul is uprooted from all the operations it can have while being in the body. It is even unaware of if it's breathing or not. That's so um, entranced that we are in being in God's presence. Even if consciousness is not completely lost, neither a hand nor a foot stirs, we are completely still. His majesty is so joined and united in the essence of the soul that the devil will not approach, nor will he even know about the secret. So we're really, we're in God's hands and we're safe. This is a lovely place to be. <laughs> God works within the soul without anyone disturbing him, not even ourselves. So we can, finally, we're out of our own way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the union of prayer only lasts a short time usually less than half an hour. They even have this time. <laughs> In summary, St. Teresa tells us, this union is above all earthly joys, above all delights, above all consolations. And still, more than that, this is what great joy is. Absolutely. And, and let me remind people that this is talking about a degree of prayer within the fifth dwelling place. Now, you don't live in this degree of prayer continuously. It's <laughs> usually only half an hour. Now, it may happen once. It may have happen lots of times. And it may not happen at all. But if it does happen, Teresa's trying to describe as best she can, because this is mystical. So that's what makes it hard to describe. She's trying to give us indications of what we might experience if we were invited and experienced this degree of prayer called the prayer of union. Now, Susan Muto, in her book, Where Lovers Meet, Inside the Interior Castle, which is also an ICS publication, she calls this a felt union because you're you really um have a sense of feeling god's spirit within you and and it's 
beyond what you have ever experienced before. Um, St. Teresa tells us that previous unions were felt like they were on the surface of the skin in comparison to the union in the fifth dwelling place, which is felt in the marrow of the bone. So it's, it's deep. And the union of the fifth dwelling place is one of the ways that God prepares souls to live in union with him forever in heaven. So it's, it's really beautiful. Now, I have to put a caveat here, uh, just a note for those who are reading the entire castle. In the fifth dwelling place, chapter one, in the fifth paragraph or the fifth, fifth section, many people get thrown off. Um, St. Teresa is recalling the doubts that were experienced in the fourth dwelling place in the prayer of quiet. Um, and some people think that she's talking about the prayer of union there. And no, she's reflecting back. And then she returns to the topic of the fifth mansion, um, where she starts talking about the lizards can't enter the fifth dwelling place. And then she's going to continue discussing how God works in the soul in the fifth dwelling place. So that paragraph in particular, we, we have to be careful. People get confused um, what she's talking about. So the doubts are not in the fifth dwelling place. They're in the prayer of quiet of the fourth. You're like, well, I'm not sure if that was God or not. But in the fifth, you are. And, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. How do we discern <laughs> if this experience that we've had um, which is the prayer of union. That's what we're talking about. How do we discern that that's truly from God? Teresa, what do you oh, say? Teresa tells us, and she said, the clear sign is certitude. And that's what she said. You feel this to the marrow of your bones. You know that you know that you know. <laughs> uh, so well Saint Teresa, yes, St. Teresa explains, God so places himself in the interior of that soul that when it returns to itself, it can in no way doubt that it was in God and God was in it. This truth remains with it so firmly that even though the years go by without God's granting that favor again, the soul can neither forget nor doubt that it was in God and God was in it. Now that's certitude. Absolutely. And, and to think that if you experience it, you'll never forget it. You know, it's there forever. Absolutely. Well, you know, when when we read in the Bible that Mary pondered, you know, when things happened to her that she had a certitude. Well, this is this is it. She knew that she knew that she knew. She hung on to those times when, you know, when she was in crisis and saw Jesus suffering. <laughs> she knew. Right. And so, this, uh, this is a certitude that that remains in the soul that only God can place there. So it's not like we're deducing and becoming certain. No, we we have the certitude and we didn't have it before. And it wasn't because we were intellectually thinking it through and deducing that that this was certain. No, it was it was a given and you knew it right then. And um so yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yes. Um, she says that this union is essence to essence essence and not only grace so she says also whoever does not receive this certitude does not experience the union of the whole soul with god but perhaps union of some faculty you know like just one thing like just the will or just the 
memory or just the intellect or that he experiences one of the many other kinds of favors that God grants to soul. So the big discerning factor here is um, if you think that you've experienced the prayer of union in the fifth dwelling place, you would have certitude. Okay. There'd no be question. No doubt. No doubt. All right. So now I want to go to talking about this. Um, we, we mentioned the word essence. We know that God is in all things by presence, power, and essence. And these terms are from St. Thomas Aquinas. So it's good for us to review this. God is in all things by his power in as much as all things are subject to his power. He is by his presence in all things as all things are bare and open to his eyes. And he is in all things by his essence inasmuch as he is present to all as the cause of their being. So God is in all things by presence, power, and essence. And that's good for us to, to have that theology um, to help understand this. Now, to further our idea of what this union is like, St. Teresa of Avila refers to two particular scripture passages or biblical references. Teresa, could you... Um, explain those for us. Well, in the Song of Songs, he brought me into the wine cellar. Here's what Teresa thought. I understand this union to be the wine cellar where the Lord wishes to place us when he desires and as he desires. But however great the effort we make to do so, we cannot enter. His majesty must place us there and enter himself into the center of our soul and that he may show his marvels more clearly. He doesn't want our will to have any part to play, for it has been entirely surrendered to him. And I love the other scripture she uses in the reference to Jesus after his resurrection. Neither does he want the door of the faculties and of the senses to be opened, for they are asleep. But he wants to enter into the center of the soul without going through any door. And that is the faculties that we're talking about. As he entered the place where his disciples were when he said, peace be with you. Or as he left the tomb without lifting away the stone. Yeah, those are wonderful. I'm so grateful that St. Teresa of Avila keeps referring to scriptural passage to help us have a deeper understanding of this um, journey into the interior castle. Well, now we're going to go on to chapter two in the fifth dwelling place. So we want to talk about what is this transformation in Christ like? And Teresa gives us this wonderful analogy of the life cycle of a silkworm, and she applies it to the spiritual life. The first thing that happens is the silkworm comes from a seed, and then she says it's about the size of little grains of pepper. And then the silkworm begins to live by the heat of the Holy Spirit. Then they nourish themselves on mulberry leaves of going to confession, reading good books, hearing good sermons, good meditations, leading a life of prayer. So these are the stages that have already been happening in the first three mansions, right? And then she says, once the silkworm is grown, it begins to spin the silk and build the cocoon, dying to itself more and more 
getting rid of our self-love and self-will, our attachments to earthly things, and by performing deeds of penance, prayer, mortification, and obedience. That's a fourth mansion person for you. That really really good Catholic who uh, is a pioneer and is uh, setting out with great sails um, on this ocean of prayer and now experiencing a new way of prayer. And all these other things, this mortification, obedience, penance, um, getting rid of self-love and self-will and attachments, those are the things that dispose us and prepare the soil of our souls and, and help us to build the cocoon, right? Now we get to the fifth and uh, the, this next stage where St. Teresa says the house or the cocoon that is built is Christ. So the cocoon is Christ. So the soul is being wrapped in Christ. Christ is becoming more active in our prayer as the soul is becoming more receptive in prayer. And our life is hidden in Christ. As as St. Paul says, he must increase and I must decrease. So St. Teresa says, and you will see how we see God as well as ourselves placed inside his greatness, as is this little silkworm within its cocoon. So now the, the soul is sharing in the essence of God through participation. So participating in the divine essence of God. Because he's permitting it. He is sharing himself. And we have been receptive and surrendered. Right? And then she continues with this wonderful quote. When the soul is in this prayer, truly dead to the world, a little white butterfly comes forth. Oh, greatness of God. How transformed the soul is when it comes out of this prayer after having been placed within the greatness of God and so closely joined with him for a little while. So now this silkworm now becomes a butterfly, and that's the image of our transformation in Christ. So now let's talk about what are the effects and desires of this degree of prayer called the prayer of union. What are some of the effects? Well, God's very own self comes to be known as the dwelling place of the soul. Now recall, it is a felt union an experiential union, a fragment of heaven. The soul knows that it doesn't merit this blessing, but it desires to praise the Lord, would want to dissolve and die a thousand deaths for him. How in love are we, you know, at at this stage? The soul desires to suffer great trials without it being able to do otherwise. The strongest desires are for penance, There are strong desires for solitude, strong desires that all souls might know God. Um, The soul feels great pain and grief at seeing all the ways that we offend God. Oh, my heavens. These souls have a very deep peace. Um, They feel estranged from the world because now they're getting a taste of heaven, a taste of God. And everything is worrying that poor little soul. (laughs) Yeah, so on one hand, you've you've had this great felt experiential union with God, with certitude, with great joy. 
And at the same time, this little butterfly doesn't know where to land. It doesn't know how to be a butterfly because it's always been a caterpillar or a seed <laughs> into a caterpillar. Now it's flying around. And where do you land? You don't want to go back to being a caterpillar, right? <laughs> so um, I I found these questions and it's I, I have to stop and ask them now because I think that they really help us reflect personally um, on our call and, um, you know, help us to examine ourselves. And it is from the interior journey toward God by John Paul Thomas. I just, I think this has become my most favorite um, book that reflects on the interior castle. And I have about 20 or 30 books, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and I've gone through each one of them. And I think this one, which is new to me this past year, I think it has now become my favorite. I think it is um, very insightful and it really helps you pray and um, uh, grow to a greater uh, knowledge of the detail that Teresa um, shares with us. And it, it it's just amazing some of the new insights I've gained from this um, book. So I'm really grateful to John Paul Thomas. So here's the questions. This is from his section on the fifth dwelling place. It's lesson 50 called Time to Fly. And it's from his reflection. So I just want to uh, quote him and uh, use these questions. As God transforms you more fully into a new and glorious creation, okay, the butterfly, you will see the effects in your life. Do you see them? Ponder these holy effects that are akin to this new butterfly flying for the first time. Do you see within yourself a new awareness of your sin, now absorbed in God's mercy? Do you have a holy desire to make amends for every sin you have ever committed? Do you see the trials in your life as something to avoid and be discouraged about? Or do you see them as an opportunity to imitate the suffering of our Lord? Do you find you now desire to embrace every trial and suffering out of love for God? God is worthy of all of our praise. Do you find within yourself a holy desire to praise God always and for everything? Do you praise him for your difficulties? Do you see the wonderful things he does for you? And do you desire to praise him for those countless graces? Do you find that you are more drawn to times of solitude? Times when you can be alone with God in loving adoration of him? Do you desire to peacefully rest in his divine presence? Do you desire to build up the kingdom of God by being an instrument of God's saving grace in the lives of others? Are you zealous for souls and feel compelled to cooperate with God's grace to help them to come to know him? As you see the many sins in this world, does it fill you with a holy sorrow and interior agony? Do you more fully understand the agony that Jesus went through in the garden as he was cleanly aware of all who would reject his gift of salvation? As you reflect upon these holy gifts that are given to those who are transformed to begin to fly by the grace of God, seek to foster them within you. Rejoice when you see these new qualities emerge in your life and work to embrace these holy gifts with all your heart. Isn't that wonderful? Lovely. And, and so, you know, you could just take two or three questions and take that to a whole hour of prayer easily. 
Um, so it was so rich. I just I just had to share that. So thank you for bearing with me with that. And um, again, it's from a book called The Interior Journey Toward God by John Paul Thomas. Okay, Teresa, tell us, why is this butterfly so restless? Well, despite being quieter and calmer in its life, it doesn't know where to alight and rest. After experiencing such wonderful rest in this prayer of union, all that it sees on earth displeases it. Since it now has wings, it can fly. It knows it can't be happy going back to the previous stages. You know, it's it, we're already moving on. We we are a, a pioneer. On account of its desires, everything it can do for God becomes little in its own eyes. It now understands through experience how the Lord helps and transforms a soul. It is so changed it doesn't recognize itself for its image. Isn't that lovely? A new image. Um. Everything now wearies it, for it has learned through experience that creatures cannot give it true rest. Only God. Um, the little white butterfly feels estranged from earthly things. So this is where we come in. This is a big cross for this little butterfly. Of course, um, tells us that we are always going to have crosses to carry while we live on this earth, right? Exactly. So we we need to know uh, that the the further we go in our prayer life, you know, we we're still going to have crosses and trials, just like Jesus did. And, the, and deep, the deeper you love, the deeper is your pain when you see God offended, right? Absolutely. So the question is, do we suffer well? And and that is a question that St. Therese, of the little flower, asked. Oh, I suffer well. That was in her book, I think, The Last Conversations. Um, so if you want to find the answer of what Therese said, check out that book, The Last Conversations. All right. So now we're we're going to talk about these crosses, the trials, the pain, and the suffering of the fifth mansion. And now, first several times going through the interior castle, I kind of skipped over this part of the fifth mansion. I, all I was focused on was this great joy and this experience <laughs> of God and, you know, how wonderful it was and these great benefits and this beautiful butterfly that is flitting about and it's free, you know, free from being held down to the earth. So I, I, I missed out on these trials and sufferings of the fifth mansion. So um, maybe, Teresa, you could Elaborate now on on these sorrows and trials. Well, the soul has a very deep peace. Um, but, you know, with every gift, uh, there are deeper trials as well. And here's what St. Teresa says about these trials. For the trials themselves are so valuable and have such good roots that although they are very severe and they give rise to peace and happiness, from the world, very unhappiness caused by worldly things arise. The ever so painful desire to leave this world. You know, we're getting a taste of heaven here. So, you know, we want to we want to be in heaven. <laughs> Any relief the soul has comes from the thought that God wants it to be living in this exile. 
Okay, that's a really important quote. I want to I want to reread that quote because I I think it's important for us to understand. For the trials themselves are so valuable and have such good roots that although very severe, okay, remember that severe trials, they give rise to peace and happiness. From the very unhappiness caused by worldly things arise the ever so painful desire to leave this world. Any relief the soul has comes from the thought that God wants it to be living, living in this exile. It's like God saying, you're not done yet. I need exactly. you. Exactly. need you to help me uh, help souls. And okay, then he purifying us. You know, um, he knows what's best for us. So we need to trust in him. Yet the soul is not entirely surrendered to God's will but it conforms with a great feeling that it can do no more because no more has been given it. And with many tears, every time it is in prayer, this regret is its pain. In some ways, perhaps the sorrow proceeds from the deep pain it feels at seeing that God is offended and little esteemed in this world and that many souls are lost heretics as well as moors, although those that grieve it most are Christians. Because they should know better, right? Exactly. The grief that's felt here is not like that of this world. It reaches the depths of our being. St. Teresa says, it seems that the pain breaks and grinds the soul into pieces without the soul striving for it or even at times wanting it. So this is going to be painful. She's not (laughs) grinding the soul. That doesn't sound pleasant. (laughs) But it's all, all all is good. God brings it all to good. Uh, St. Teresa helps us get some perspective here by returning to the imagery that she mentioned earlier in the first chapter of the fifth dwelling place where she's talking about the bride and the wine cellar. So bridal language, bridal mysticism comes into play here. Um, So she says, in allusion to the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4, God, who is the bridegroom, God brings the soul, who is the bride, God brings the soul into the inner wine cellar, which is the center of the soul, and put charity in order within her. And St. Teresa tells us, since that soul now surrenders itself into his hands and its great love makes it so surrendered that it neither knows nor wants anything more than what he wants with her, for God will never, in my judgment, grant this favor, save to a soul that he takes for his own. He desires that without its understanding how it may go forth from this union and pressed with his seal. She says, in a secret way, the soul sees who this spouse is that she is to take because, it, you know, we're in a courtship phrase here. And so we're, we're in a serious discernment whether we're going to go forward. By means of the senses and faculties, she, she could not learn in a thousand years what she understands by this way in the briefest space of time in this prayer of union. So she's comparing the soul to um, wax being impressed by a seal. So now, Teresa, talk to us about this seal, this analogy of the wax seal. 
Well, I love like she used, this analogy, like the letters that used to be sealed with the melted wax and a stamp of some type. Here, the soul does no more in this union than does the wax when another impresses a seal on it. The soul is only disposed to receive the seal by remaining still and giving its consent to God. God desires that without its understanding how it may go forth from this union impressed with his seal. God just wants our will and that there be no impediment in the wax. It's as if God is branding the soul with the sign that it is his. And God wants the soul to recognize itself as his own. He's 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 imprinting himself on us. Yeah, and there's a great agreement here because it's a serious courtship, right? It's not the engagement yet, but it's a serious courtship. So you're you're being more vulnerable. Um and here when the soul is the wax, it, it doesn't do anything but receive. Receive the seal. So God's imprinting his will upon the will of the soul and makes the soul's will his own. And now the soul's only desire is to, to glorify God and save souls. Uh, such a Carmelite theme. Glorify Absolutely. God and save souls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that leads us. Uh, Teresa goes on and talks about Christ's interior sufferings and, and this love of suffering. Help us to understand that. Oh, St. Teresa, she's asking the Lord about his suffering. So she's in prayer and she's asking him, which the soul in the fifth dwelling place begins to understand much deeper. So in her prayer, the Lord answers her, know my great love and the desire I have that souls be saved are incomparably more important than these sufferings. And the very greatest sorrows that I have suffered and do suffer after being in the world are not enough to be considered anything at all in comparison with this love and the desire to save souls. What a great love. One could spend a lifetime pondering this great love. Let us work hard to console the sacred heart of Jesus. That's just to think that. His his love of souls and desire to save souls was greater than any of the physical pain that was manifested through his um, passion. And, um, you know, one person once told me that all of the wounds on Jesus's body were manifestations of the sins that we have inflicted those wounds on him by our sins. And that really struck me when I heard him say that. Teresa has this poem um, called Aspirations Toward Eternal Life, where the repeating refrain is, I die because I do not die. I actually think that would be a good title. I die because I do not die. And I think this poem may help us understand the kind of suffering the soul in union with God shares in and so I, I looked up the poem, and it is in the Collected Works of St. Teresa of Avila, which is an ICS publication. It's volume three. And so I, I, I'm i going to take time to read this poem because um, I think it gives us a good sense of the kind of grief and sorrow 
that this little white butterfly now is experiencing. And of course, this goes for the sixth mansion as well. Aspirations toward eternal life. I live without living in myself. In such a way, I hope I die because I do not die. Since I die of love, living apart from love, I live now in the Lord who has desired me for himself. He inscribed on my heart when I gave it to him. I die because I do not die. Within this divine prison of love in which I live, my God, my captive is. My heart is free to behold my prisoner God, passion welling in my heart. I die because I do not die. Ah, how weary this life, these exiles so hard, this jail and these shackles by which the soul is fettered, longing only to go forth brings such terrible sorrow. I die because I do not die. Ah, how bitter a life when the Lord is not enjoyed. While love is sweet, long awaiting is not. Oh God, take away this burden heavier than steel. I die because I do not die. Only with that surety I will die do I live, because in dying my hope in living is assured. Death bringing life, do not tarry, I await you. I die because I do not die. See how love is strong. Life, do not trouble me. See how all that remains is in losing you to gain. Come now, sweet death. Come, dying, swiftly. I die because I do not die. That life from above, that is true life. Until this life dies, life is not enjoyed. Death, be not aloof. In dying first, may life be. I die because I do not die. Life, what can I give to my God living in me, if not to lose you, thus to merit him? In dying, I want to reach him alone whom I seek. I die because I do not die. I hope that that poem made you think about that little butterfly and that cocoon and the dying of, of the caterpillar so that the butterfly could come to life, so that transformation. Um, and now I wanted to share one other thing. So I know I'm taking up a a lot of space here, but, um, you know, there, there are severe sorrows and trials that the soul experiences now as an effect of the prayer of union. But essentially, it's a twofold agony of love. And I'm referencing, again, that book, The Interior Journey Toward God by John Paul Thomas. He says, first, the first agony of love is the person longs for heaven and remains in great agony knowing that they are not there yet, right? Because um, God has more for them to do. By this painful yearning, is it's also accompanied by profound virtue, strength, peace, submission, and joy. The second agony of love is this suffering with Christ, his interior agony over the rejection by souls of his saving grace. And that, that, um, that Jesus' gaze is not on his own sufferings, but it was on these souls that were rejecting him. And so that was what was so painful. So when you encounter the prayer of union, 
John Paul Thomas tells us, you begin to feel the interior pain of Christ who loves all people with an all-consuming love, even as that love is rejected. And then, of course, if you love much, then you will suffer much until the giving and receiving of that love is complete. The suffering from love in our Lord's human soul is what we begin to experience. So um, the double portion of holy agony there. And um, I really thought that John Paul Thomas pointed that out really well. So, you know, Francis, I want to add just a, a thing too. this. The fifth dwelling place, place um, may be daunting because you're talking about highs and lows. You know, the, the trials and sufferings, but we need to remember God prepares us at every stage. And and though this may sound heavy and like we're, we're seeing sufferings and oh, my goodness, trials, but he's been preparing us at every stage. And that's why when you see these things and hear these things, when these saints are talking about that, they're joyfully accepting these things. They have prepared that soul to withstand these things in a in, in a better manner. And so don't don't uh, drop this now. This is this is where we're digging in deeper. This is where you want to go and be the pioneer and persevere and have faith and continue in this prayer life because we do want to get to the end, the union with God, that spiritual marriage. Yes. So persevere. Yes, that transforming union. That's that's the yeah, yeah spiritual exactly. mansion. So thank you for adding that. It makes me think of, you know. In each of the mansions, we've talked about battles. Um, And in each of those mansions, the battles that are won prepare us for the next battle uh, until we we get to some really, really big battles in the sixth (laughs) mansion. (laughs) When we get there, there's a lot of them. Teresa gives us 11 chapters telling us about some of those. Exactly. And that's why we want to say, don't stop now. Uh, we are being prepared. Continue to, to, um, to seek God in all ways and open yourselves up to this beautiful, transforming prayer. So my spiritual challenge to everybody who's listening to this is to um, go to that section where uh, we're talking about doing a, a self-examination on on how fertile your soul is take to prayer and ask the holy spirit to enlighten you to um, how to make your soul more fertile to receive god and and not just the favors and gifts of god but to receive him in this experiential um, prayer of union which is a degree of prayer of the fifth mansion and, um, Teresa, I'm really grateful that you've joined me in this conversation. You always add a lot to it. And I really appreciate it. And, and I thank our listeners for tuning in. I hope you'll stay with us on this whole journey, um, uh, through the interior castle. Uh, we will return next month to finish the fifth dwelling place. We're going to be talking about chapter three and four. And as always, we want to close in prayer. So, Teresa, would you lead us in prayer, please? Most certainly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My transforming Lord, 
In your great mercy, you desire to draw me into your divine presence in such a way that only you can. I open myself to you, dear Lord, and pray for this deep union you wish to bestow. Please speak to my spirit, cleanse my mind, free my imagination and memory, and strengthen my will so that I will be fully disposed to enter union with you. Indwelling of the Most Holy Trinity, I love you, I trust you, I surrender my life to you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And that was a prayer that was selected from the book Interior Journey Toward God by John Paul Thomas. Um, he really he really does help us pray our way through the interior castle. So thank you, Teresa, again for joining me and helping to um, highlight some of these very important points and discernments and challenges. Um, it's been delightful, and I'm looking forward to to uh, doing the next two chapters with you. And so um, to the listening audience, thank you again for joining us. Keep us in your prayers. We're keeping you in ours. And until then, and as always, God bless you.